0: I'm Dr. Brent Schillinger, along with my colleague, Dr. Abby Strauss, and our discussion today concerns itself with alternatives to opioids for pain management. Specifically, we're going to be looking at the role of physical therapy. And for that conversation, we have with us Jeff Frankert, who's been a physical therapist for nearly a quarter of a century. Jeff holds a bachelor's degree in physical therapy from Bowling Green University in the Medical College of Ohio, and he has extensive clinical experience in a largely military-based career, including direct combat support in Turkey during the early 2000s. And later, Jeff was a chief of chronic pain physical therapy at the Landstuhl Regional Medical Center in Landstuhl, Germany. It's a facility which actually was the nearest treatment center for wounded soldiers coming from Iraq and Afghanistan, and it also ranks as the largest U.S. military hospital outside of the continental U.S. Jeff, welcome to the program.
1: Thank you, Dr. Schelling and Dr.
0: Strauss. We're focusing here on alternatives to opioids for pain management. As a physical therapist in the military, what was your observation of the role of the use of opioids? What what did you see over the years, and how has that changed?
1: The large component of the opioid abuse started just to keep guys in battle. In the mid-2000s, we had two wars going, one in Afghanistan, one in Iraq. We had to keep the guys on the battlefield. For example, my brother-in-law, Special Forces, 26 years, retired. His back was broken in three places. He got blown up in Fallujah, and he had to chew on narcotics to stay on mission. To keep guys in the battlefield, it was give them narcotic, keep them on the front. And it wasn't so much that the guys didn't want to do it. They wanted to do everything they could to stay on the front. So it wasn't like doctors were shut the meds down them. They just didn't want to leave their friends and their buddies and the mission. The medications were facilitating the success of the mission. They become more of a standard of practice so that we can fight the war. this
0: was how long ago?
1: 2005, all the way till I started working with the receiving combat injured in 2010 in Launstuil. Because the first two years at Launchstool Regional Medical Center, my job was to requalify guys that were combat injured to return back into combat or decide whether they needed to go back to the United States for more rehab. We were getting 600 wounded a week. When you're getting... 2,400 wounded in a month, you can't take all those guys out of the field. You have to determine, can they continue to be productive in a combat environment functionally with somewhat pain control? And this is fascinating.
2: It raises the question that these guys are going back into battle with a narcotic in their system. Did it affect their judgment? Did it affect their normal response to injuries? Would have made them move a little bit to the left or a little bit to the right, as opposed to just going straight ahead. How did it affect their functioning as, as someone in combat,
1: which is God bless them, but this is one hell of a situation to be in. That was a situation that occurred And from 2005, probably about 2015, because of the mission, there wasn't any specific research because it was combat. It was keep the guys in the field. Could you tell they were exhausted or were they on narcotics? Who knows? So the mission went on. So I'm, I'm sure just out of basic reality, there was a delayed effect. You had to keep the mission going at the same time. So what they identified was in 2008, 2009, because of the narcotic level use, we were getting... Two to three suicides a day. Wow. So the chronic pain program that I became part of in 2012 was a congressionally mandated program. And we backed up how did Congress mandate a program for chronic pain? When they did the research in 2008, nine, because all these guys were committing suicide, when they went back to the numbers, what they identified is every single one of them that, that were putting a bullet in their head were on a narcotic. And then they asked, why are they on a narcotic? Because they had chronic pain. So that's when Congress said, fix the problem they initiated the Chronic Pain Initiative to find a way to treat chronic pain so we could get guys off opioids. Congress and the Army identified it was an issue. And then 2011, they initiated the program. And that's where I was hired from 2012 to 2018 to come up on the team with a solution for reducing narcotics, treating chronic pain, and reducing suicides in the military and the VA.
0: So would you say over the past decade that the focus has shifted in terms of the therapeutics? Has there been success in this arena?
1: Oh, absolutely. Because as soon as the doctors were given the power to pull back narcotics, because in the beginning, it was keep the mission going and then keep the patient happy. That dance that every physician does in the world of medicine, keep the patient happy and comfortable, do no harm at the same time. Functional, So the military is able to control that much more efficiently because they have total control over the soldier. They identified the issue, started pulling back the narcotics, regardless of whether someone was happy or not. Physicians were more readily able to reduce the narcotic use than, say, the civilian world because we could monitor every opioid that was issued. The doctors could put a marker on that particular individual. The pharmacy and the doctors could work together to make sure that they weren't abusing the narcotic. But there comes the thing, you're backing up the narcotic, but they still have the physical and psychological pain. We had to come up with a solution.
2: So obviously my perspective and my bias is wanting to know more about the psychological pain, but certainly not to diminish or discredit the physical aspect of this as well. What did you do in terms of the physical component of pain control? And I reflect on what you sent about movement and with equipment and without equipment to help build up a person's stamina, attitude, and so on. But the whole concept of pain, where is it? Is it in the tissue
1: or is it in our perception? Pain is an emotional and a physical experience. What has happened through our medical industry is we've broken them up into silos. We go to physical therapy if that doesn't work on the tissues because we're trained as therapists traditionally just to treat the tissues. If it doesn't work physically, then it has to be psychological. Then we send it to a psychologist or a psychiatrist or a social worker to work on the psychology of the pain. And then if that doesn't work, then we'll go to chiropractic. And if that doesn't work, we'll do an interventional pain injection. But we keep everybody in a silo. What Congress said is all of these components of each... Each service worked, is what the Army decided to put all the professionals together on one team, break the mold, and then come up with the most evidence based solution within our field. In our team at LaunchDuel and eight other centers throughout the Army, we had a pain psychiatrist, we had an interventional pain doctor, we had a chiropractor, a physical therapist, an occupational therapist, a yoga therapist, an acupuncturist, biofeedback tech. That was the whole team. We were all thrown together lots of egos lots of people who had the solution and said play in the sandbox and break the mold what'd you come up with we came up with a bunch of head budding we came up with a great group solution it's a team effort if you go to the basics of pain you have an emotional and a physical experience the emotion component if you break it down is pain tolerance the physical component is pain threshold Pain tolerance is the experience that one person has and can associate that experience to whether they can handle pain or not pain. For example, we have special forces, Delta Force, Navy SEALs, TACP, all other CIA, everything. They're taught through certain trainings to override pain. So they're placed in environments, prisoner of war training, and they are beaten. They are tortured psychologically and physically. And what comes out of that is a psychological tolerance that they know they, they can endure and survive. Tolerance for pain goes through the roof. Likewise, when a woman gives birth, they have that physical experience, excruciating, and they don't explode. They don't die. And they have a beautiful gift at the end. So their experience with pain tolerance goes up. Pain threshold is the biological nerve conduction impulse that determines fight or flight. If you look at electrical impulse, a touch on the finger or thigh, you get an impulse that goes to the brain and that within milliseconds, within milliseconds saying, is this safe? Is this not safe? Do I need to withdraw? Do I need to protect myself? You have to deal with the physical and the psychological components of pain at the same time. I had to find a way from the physical therapy perspective to have, them have an experience that didn't make the pain worse, didn't have make a bad experience, but they were able to push themselves to a threshold that was beneficial, a positive experience, just like the baby that's born after the, the experience of giving birth, as well as our special forces guys, the survival after getting through the training. At the same time, I had to return the threshold of pain back to accurate, not eliminate pain, but back to accurate. That's what I did. How'd you do that? Science. I'm not that smart. So what I did... I went to the American Physical Therapy Association's clinical practice guideline for the treatment of most common chronic pain and that's low back pain. This was produced in 2012. I know the answer's out there. I'm just, my job was to try and find it, break the mold. Because traditional physical therapy, you give someone a massage, you work on their soft tissue, you treat the biomechanical issue. It's all biomechanical and just the physical component. Ultrasound, hot packs, a little bit of movement, but don't push them through pain. It's just protect them. My job was to find a way that's evidence-based so in that clinical practice guideline i found the most published authors that were referenced in this practice guideline it was two individuals for the psychological component it was a clinical neuroscientist from australia dr Laura mosley he had produced an education system to make people aware to mentally try and desensitize from a physical therapy perspective to educate people And then for the movement component, it was Dr. James Rainville at New England Baptist Hospital in Boston, associate clinical professor for Harvard Medical School. It was easy to get Dr. Mosley's information on how to inform people about pain and educate pain. His book is called Explain Pain and he's out and for like 20 years, he's been teaching therapists how to do this, to educate about pain. Dr. Rainville, his system is called the Boot Bootcamp at New England Baptist and He wasn't allowed to share it with the world because of, it's just competition. You can't share your secret magic with the rest of the world because you have competitors that would get the upper hand. But his spine program, he's done so much research on that. He has an end now in his data set of 20,000, published over 80 articles using this number of patients. So I went to practice. I begged to come work with him and find out his system. And he graciously accepted. And I went and trained with his program at the New England Baptist Hospital in Boston.
0: So you talk about accidentally figuring out what you call nature's code for treating pain, (laughs) NGPS. Explain a little bit about (laughs) that
1: and and how that works. NGPS stands for, in the scientific world, be neuroplastic graded proprioceptive stimulation. If you break down what's necessary to change the brain, the brain is neuroplastic, the central nervous system adapts. The graded exposure they do in psychology as well as in physical exposure. Proprioceptive is movement and stimulation. So you have to have a sub-threshold stimulation at the same time. For the lay person, how I explain it to my patients is basically nature's GPS system for pain reduction and functional recovery. It's simple to understand. People understand what the GPS is. We've just figured out the roadmap on how to make your body start producing its own endogenous opioids and start recalibrating the central and peripheral nervous system with submaximal movement exercise. So it's intense. So it will actually start changing the mu opioid receptors. It'll start increasing exercise-induced hypoalgesia. It'll start desensitizing the central nervous system because it's recalibrating the peripheral and central nervous system. I had to come up with a system because Dr. Rainbow's system is equipment-based. He had eight physical therapists and 10,000 square feet of room and all this equipment, you know, 100 plus thousand worth of equipment. And I had me as a therapist, a two-bed patient room and four chairs. So I had to find a way to get his results because he had the science with the system that I had. What I fell back to was something that I had experienced in 2010 to 2012, where I accidentally had no idea I was rolling upon this, realized that pain is not an indication of ongoing damage or harm. I didn't know why this intense movement worked. My responsibility in 2010, as well as working in inpatient with amputees and blast injuries, was to requalify guys to go back into combat. We were getting 600 wounded a week, a lot of walking wounded wounded as well as amputees and gunshot wounds. And I had three weeks to determine if someone could go back into combat. So I created a triaging system where I could see 30 patients every hour, 20 to 30, just me as a physical therapist, because we didn't have enough physical therapists. And I would see between 70 and 90 patients in three hours, trying to identify who could functionally go back into battle. My mission was, I had to determine in three weeks, could this soldier jump out of a Humvee, engage the enemy with full gear and weapon, without the fear of their injury giving out, not without pain, because everybody had pain that we had a mission to complete. This program is so intense at, at their level that I created it for, that my Navy SEAL threw up the first two days. We pushed extremely hard, but what I was finding, which blew my mind, was I had guys who had five, six, seven, sometimes eight out of 10 pain, which we normally would say, oh, rest, don't move, avoid the motion. I didn't have that luxury. I had to find out who could go into battle They had eight out of 10 pain before a 40-minute intense program. And at the end of the 40-minute program, their pain hadn't gotten any worse. Their pain was the same. They had no compensatory motion. Their legs weren't giving out. Their backs weren't locking up. Their shoulders could hold the weight. I had them doing burpees. I had them doing, I had weighted vest on them, running around with guns. I had them doing intense programs, but they had no compensatory motion and no increase in pain. That didn't make any sense to me. When the wars wound down and I took the chronic pain program, when I went to work with Dr. Rainville, he had all the science that explained my outcome. In the program I created for the triaging system, I put over 7,000 treatments through the system. So I perfected how to move people, advance people into a high load activity without causing injury. Throughout this was the role of to use or not use narcotics. During combat from 2010 to 2012, There was no real emphasis on reducing narcotics for the combat soldier. Did this eventually evolve
2: to you being able to produce a treatment protocol that could give hopefully total pain relief? We always shoot for 100%. But reasonable pain relief or reasonable changes in attitudes such that the use of narcotics reduced, maybe even eliminated, but at least least reduced.
1: Yes, absolutely. How? How So So the war wound down. So in 2012, I went to the Chronic Pain Initiative, so on that team, and I went to work with Dr. Rainbow. He had all the science. So I took his system that he had created and integrated my return to duty platform. And he and I fine tuned it to the point where we could take someone who was on narcotics and reduce narcotics and increase function in three weeks or a six-week program. The three-week intense program, they would come to us and we'd hit them with everything. The entire team would go at them, trying to figure out what recipe was going to work as they tried to reduce the narcotic. And in order to be part of this program, the individuals had to be willing to reduce the narcotics.
0: Do You talk about so, setting up a specific biopsychosocial program, something like 12, 90-minute sessions. How is the protocols that you were able to refine in the military different, again, from, say, traditional physical therapy?
1: In traditional physical therapy, group exercise is not done. Because it's one-on-one, insurance companies demand that. And the only group sessions that are, that happen in physical therapy are usually nursing homes. It's not a familiar concept. It wasn't to me at all. And I didn't at first think it was physical therapy at all either, but we didn't have a choice. We had to find a way to treat a mass amount of people. It differs in that. Second, it differs in the fact that I don't put my hands on the patient. Psychologically, as soon as I put my hands on a patient, I start doing a deep tissue trigger release or a massage or a joint mobilization, and they start feeling better, then psychologically to the patient, I am the reason they got better, not their work made them better. So in my system, I, as a therapist, do not touch the patient. I educate, I show them how to move. There's 27 stretches and six basic strengthening exercises they go through that each one has three to five different modifications. So I'll show them how to continue moving so that they don't exacerbate their pain and change their threshold while they're seeing success at the same time. I keep my hands off of them. I don't do any joint mobs. I don't do any trigger point releases. I don't touch them before I treat them. Psychologically, I do.
0: So when you do treat them, what is it that you're telling us all the things you don't do? What do you do? Mm -hmm.
1: What do we do? We get them moving. you have to restructure how they think and that's where the psychological component is what i would learned with my amputee patients and actually from the psychologist with our amputee patients is where i learned this approach because in the world of amputees in the war they would get to us in maybe one or two days all these these soldiers amputees gunshots trauma I was watching our, psych- our psychologist, psychiatrist, they would jump in and get the guys talking about their pain really fast or talking about their experiences really fast. So they treated the brain and the experience like a wound and they would debride it. They would get in there day one and have them start talking about it. And then they would keep coming at them and at them and desensitizing their experience quickly while it was still raw on their head. I need to use the same approach that the psychologists are using with my amputee patients physically. For example the direct approach really fast i have an amputee patient i would get him about 2 days after blast so i get a soldier his leg is cut off above the knee amputation on the right His has lost his left eye his right arm shredded left arm he can put weight through and the left leg is just hamburger pretty much it's just shredded from all the shrapnel but he's able to weight bear on the left leg my mindset when i go in to see this patient is i have to do two things i have to get them over the fear of movement just like a psychologist get them over the fear of the incident so i have to him over the kinesiophobia and then two I have to start desensitizing the limbs. I walk into the soldier and I all right soldier let's stand up we're gonna go for a walk and he's like uh sir I I don't have a leg I can't I can't move I'm like "Ah, why do you think I'm here you're a soldier we're gonna move so he's still in that soldier mode he's gonna follow orders so we get up we walk takes about 30 minutes to walk like you know 15 feet I sit him back in the chair do you know what his first question was when can I run 30 minutes before I can't walk. 30 minutes later, when can I run? So I had the cognitive shift. Mentally, wound debrided. He thought he, he was never going to walk. He knows he's going to run, which he eventually will. and probably did. Now, as a physical therapist, I have to start desensitizing the peripheral nervous system where the leg has been removed on the right. It's above the knee amputation. So the first thing I do is I step on his foot, his right foot, as hard as I can. He pulls back. He's shaking. Pain is just oozing out of his body. And you just can't stop the shake. And I calm him down. And as soon as he's calmed down, I kick him in his right shin as hard as I can. And it moves the chair. And he almost swings at me. What I made him realize, did you feel that pain? He's like, I wanted to punch it. I'm like, you don't have a right foot. How did you feel the pain? He thought I was stepping on his right foot. Was that pain real? Or was that pain all in your head? He goes, it was real. Of course it was. It is real. But physically, that foot is not there. So when you feel that pain in the future, you're not doing damage to that foot because it's not there. What we have to do as therapists, when I send him home back to the States for rehab, is as soon as the wounds healed up, they start taking the leg and putting into marbles, different things to desensitize it. So he'll have to rub into that, the wound into the marbles, desensitize, take a break and then go at it again. He's not trying to get rid of pain. What we're trying to do is make the pain accurate because you have to have pain. Pain is, it's a guidance system. You don't wanna eliminate all pain because then you're gonna be potential for damage. You just have to make it accurate. What I learned from the psychologist was get in there, reset the mind, reconstruct it, and then two, start getting into the graded exposure, start desensitizing. I took that, what I learned from working with the combat soldiers in 2010 to 11, right after explosion, and I layered that into the chronic pain system of desensitizing, but using movement to achieve this.
2: This is fascinating, and the more that I listen, how much there is to learn from this, and I'm troubled that outside of a military environment, a military hospital system, and these guys deserve whatever they need, but to copy that-
0: to extrapolate to the civilian.
2: Extrapolate to the civilian, because there's so many of the patients that come to me, frankly, and they're good people, they're good people, but they don't have the mindset of a soldier. They don't need to have it. Okay, that's what I want to hear you talk about
0: just to reiterate so there's a great deal of military experience how do we take that and apply it to the (laughs) civilians how do we get the physician community educated on these options and and which patients would be
1: indicated actually dr rainbow had the same question this is great with your soldiers your special forces he uh, did research on it in new england baptist i took the science that he had trained me in the system we put together and i brought it back to the civilian world and for the last five years Dr. Rainville has replaced his equipment based system with my physical component, and they did research, they proved it to be safe and effective at reproducing the same outcomes he had done with the equipment with the movement based system body weight system I created for people ages. 18 to 98. In the last two years, I've owned a private practice because I jumped out in 2018 because I'd been there eight years and we're only supposed to be there five. We have a physical therapy clinic. My wife and I did in a medical center in Germany, started practicing on regular civilians. And I've done this program with six-year-olds with Parkinson's. I've done it with bilateral hip replacement, bilateral knee replacements, fibromyalgia patients It works excellent with post-cancer, pregnant women, eight months pregnant with a total hip replacement, working out right next to a Navy SEAL. So the system is time-based, ability-based. It's not rep-based or weight-based. You do it to your tolerance in the group or as individuals. What I learned in the civilian world is I had to go by insurance guidelines. So I had to make it just one-on-one because they won't let me do it groups. When we did the research, because I kept data, and when I talk about research, I did what Dr. Rainville did. The Oswestry Disability Index is what I use for low back pain and leg pain. And that's just a, it's a perceived disability index that's been used in physical therapy for 30 years, a standard practice. And a statistically significant change in pain is a 10-point change. And with over 20,000 treatments that I recorded, the change is 1215 my patients in 12 sessions whether it's in three weeks or six weeks
0: what do you tell the patient who says oh i've been through physical therapy already that doesn't work
1: i completely agree with you traditional physical therapy does not work but this is not traditional physical therapy it's an active approach to therapy not a passive approach i believe in using everything passive to achieve active and when i mean passive i mean chiropractic i mean spinal injections nerve burns, medications, anything passive to achieve active. If you just do one thing without the active component, you're never going to desensitize the central nervous system. Even with psychology, psychology is active, but it's only psychologically active. If you don't have a physical component with it, then you're not going to achieve long-term maintenance. Because even once we get pain suppression, in order to maintain pain suppression, you have to continue movement. And we already figured out minimum effective dose for that is I will do the intense program for 12 sessions, train them what to do, how to feel, how to think, and recalibrate their central nervous system. And then to maintain that pain suppression, all they have to do is the program I teach them, that NGPS, twice a week for 20 minutes. For how long? Years? In their front. Is it for years? The rest of their life. Okay, that's fair. Yeah.
0: But they can I mean, do it on is, their it's, own. It's,
1: it's absolutely, in their living room. They need no equipment. It's a no equipment system. You can do it anywhere, anytime with no equipment in a 10, 20, 40, or 60 minute program. When I created NGPS, I was not creating it for the world. I was creating it for a deployable military person that has to go back into combat. They cannot go into combat with a bunch of weights and TheraBands and all these exercises. I had to create a system that required no equipment. It could be done anywhere. I even created the system that they could do the entire NGPS program over a yoga mat so that if they got captured and they were in a prison cell, they could still win control of their body even though they had someone else had control of their mind and their environment.
0: One of the challenges that physicians that we have in terms of pain management decisions, insurance. Opioids are cheap. Physical therapy is not. And insurance oftentimes doesn't want to get involved in that. Any movement in that direction, any changes.
1: Physical therapy is expensive. But if they allow us to go to groups, and that's what my wife and I are actually trying to get an NIH research grant to prove that we can reduce the costs and reduce narcotics and medications at the same time, reducing the cost of physical therapy. We're trying to work with different agencies to try and get that grant and able to do it. Traditional physical therapy is expensive and it's not, and it doesn't work for chronic pain if we can show it to the world, because we know it works, and it's already been researched safe and effective by Dr. Rainbow, we just have to show the insurance companies that the groups are actually easier. And what we figured out is if I can get people six to 12 sessions, then we can take it to a virtual type system. They can do it in their home in a group. It might only take three sessions. It might take six. It might take 12, depending on the individual and get them results so that they believe that it can help them. And then we can move it to the health fitness. It can be done in groups almost like Pilates.
2: How have you been either accepted or criticized by the prevailing world
1: physical therapists, personal injury attorneys and the like? Personal injury in the military, my job was not to worry about lawsuits. I didn't have to. My job was to determine can this person will this person survive in more or not? So I didn't have to worry about lawsuits when I created this program. There's no way. As a civilian therapist, there's no way I could have created this system in the civilian world because the lawsuits would have been right through the roof. And the mental status of the patients would have been different because all my soldiers, bullet holes through them, broken back, they wanted to get back into battle. Not so much so they could fight, but they wanted to get back there to protect their family, their brothers. They wanted to get back. So I didn't have to worry about the psychological secondary gain of not performing the exercises. What I had to do is just determine, can they do it or not? I didn't have to worry about Lawson. The physical therapist, actually I got in a little bit of trouble with army command because I was one physical therapist treating 70 to 90 patients. And I was billing for each one using the code system they created because in the military, they use the RVU code. Those codes in the civilian world equal money. The codes in the military world, since it's a socialized medical system, just equals productivity. My productivity, As a outpatient physical therapist, treating 90 patients three times a week in three hours, and then going and doing other patients, my productivity was through the roof. And when they looked at my RVU generation at headquarters, they're like, you're doing something illegal. I'm like, no, I'm not. I know how to code because I own my own practice. So I actually do know how to code. I got in a fight with the Lieutenant Colonel. I was like, do you need to change your system? And I'm like, because I'm doing it wrong or because you want me to change it? He goes, well, you're not doing it wrong, but it's making the rest of the physical therapists, it's screwing up our numbers and their productivity expectations. Physical therapists that I've taught it to, they absolutely love it. And once they experience it, then they have a solution. They have a tool. Therapists want to help.
0: The question extends then what your experience has been as you move into the civilian world and what do you anticipate what resistance will be?
1: 10 years ago, it was going to be from the interventional pain docs. They were the hot topic back then, the injections and stuff. Now, because of the opioid crisis and the chronic pain crisis, nobody's fighting me for a solution. I get doctors, you have a solution for my patients who have pain, can reduce narcotics. No, I'm not getting pushback from the doctors. It's not like I'm pushing against any doctor. I want to use chiropractors. I want to use interventional pain docs. I want to use psychiatrists. It's all a component. It's part of the system. The only pushback now is the insurance companies, getting them to accept that we can do it in groups and reduce cost. They're thinking increased groups is going to cost them more.
2: How easy is it to access or get a consultation
1: with someone who practices your style of physical therapy? How available is it? Zero. I'm the only one that knows how to do it. I've trained probably about five physical therapists, because I was over in Germany for the last 10 years in the war, and that's all I was training. And then we stayed there for two years to run our practice, and then with COVID and our family being ill, we decided to close that down and come back to the States. I just hit the ground here. This is a
2: fascinating reformation. Physical therapy is excellent. I've seen it do wonderful things. I wish that there was more of it available to a lot of my patients. But as you said, there's nothing, to my knowledge, there's nothing this new that's come to physical therapy and the overall gestalt of pain management. And you fell into it because you were doing noble work of helping our
1: soldiers and it just evolved. What a great story. It's a blessing and I've just been given the gift. Now my job is to get it out there to help others. Dr. Rainbow actually in 2014, he did an NPR interview with, talked about his system and how he's using it. And all of a sudden he started getting calls from China, from Russia, from Africa, from therapists and docs saying, we want to get your results, but we don't have enough therapists and we don't have any equipment. And he's like, well, I have a protege has the same problem. And that's when he invited me to come back and I trained his team so that we can do research to get this out to the world because we can help a lot of people.
0: So this is definitely a great story. And this has been a most informative discussion. You're no longer full-time military guys. You said you relocated actually Florida to continue your research and and working with the civilian sector. So Jeff Frankert, physical therapist, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank Thank you.